It's the Ringer NFL Show. Kevin Clark here with Robert Mays. Robert, these gambling folks keep asking me who to bet on. I feel like we've been pretty clear about this. The teams you should not bet on are the Bears, the Giants, probably the Bengals and the Browns. We were ticking enough off the list where your choices should be pretty streamlined by now. We can also get some Tony Romo rain delay comment prop bets going. Oh, it's amazing. I can't wait to see what more film commentary we're going to get from Tony over the rest of the year. I did not expect him to be throwing out Sam Mendes flicks. Sure. I understand American Beauty like kind of got into the mainstream, but that's still a weird movie to reference 20 years later. a weird reference in general. Anyway, I can't tell them who to bet on, but I do point them to mybookie.ag. That makes sense. They have live in-game betting, tons of player perks, and a really cool mobile site so you can bet from anywhere. So instead of just refreshing Twitter, whatever app you use, you can just bet on games? That might be healthier for me, honestly. I know I don't bet on games, but the Twitter refreshing is getting a little out of hand. we got 280 characters now. I know, that makes it even worse. But if you want to join MyBookie, they'll give you even more incentive by matching your deposit with up to 100% bonus. Visit MyBookie.ag and use the promo code RINGERNFL to activate offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined as always by my friend Robert Mays. Robert, it's week four of the NFL season. Weird game, Thursday night, weird week. We've talked about it all week. It's dominated the headlines. The week that we didn't think could get much worse for the NFL got worse with a devastating Danny Trevathan hit on Devontae Adams, which uh, dominated a, a fairly boring game on Thursday night. What did you think of the game and what did you think of the hit? Well, let me talk about the Bears for 30 seconds before I get to the actual (laughs) things that matter. It was such an embarrassing game, and I've just run out of reasons for why Mike Lennon should be the quarterback. If the guy is supposed to be this stopgap option that gives you some sort of safety and competent level of play, that's just going out the window. He looks okay in certain stretches. The turnovers have gotten out of hand. It's also the situation where... The Bears clearly want to be this running play action team where they boot and they put their quarterback on the move and they try to be built around that version of their offense. And they have the perfect quarterback to do that. He's just sitting on the bench and the guy they have cannot move. Mike Tomlin referred to him as statuesque before they played the Steelers. And I think he meant that as a compliment, but that's not a compliment. (laughs) Like Mike Glennon's traits for being an NFL quarterback remain tall. The man is tall and that's we're done there. It just doesn't make any sense to me why you wouldn't take him out of the game at this point. You have a mini buy before the Monday night game against Minnesota next week. There's no argument for me anymore as to why he should be the quarterback. The line is not bad. The pressure mostly happens because Glenn cannot move and he really is not good at processing information quickly. So it, I'm out of him. It, Trubisky should be the quarterback. I don't have any other reason not to. There's this coaching staff's probably going to be gone before the end of the season. Okay. That's that. That's that aside. The Trevathan hit was stomach churning. I mean, the choice to make that hit in the moment, I know that things happen quickly. That's hard to diagnose plays. It's hard to aim. That's the thing that there was a penalty earlier in the game where Clinton Dix hit Josh Bellamy high and it was a ball over the middle and Bellamy went down for it. That's the stuff where that's difficult. When you're aiming for a, the midsection and a guy goes down quickly, this was not that. He came in helmet first from the get go and he snapped the guy's neck back who could not protect himself because he was in the grasp of another player. He should be fine. He should be suspended, in my opinion. I think that you have to send a message on stuff like this. And it comes on the heels of news this week about the possibility that a Boston University study has found a way to diagnose CTE in living people. And Mm -hmm. you talked about this with Brian Curtis earlier this week, but it is a game changing thing. And I feel like that news coming two or three days before we see something like this I can understand where the future of football and the viability of football and all of those things comes into question when you see something like that. That's the type of stuff they have to legislate out of the game, whether it's kicking him out right away, whether it's suspending him for one or two or however many games. These are the type of moves they need to make when you consider the rest of the climate that currently exists. The rule book in the NFL is so thick that it almost means nothing in a weird way. It is so big that there's nothing there, if that makes any sense. I did a story last year after we saw Cam Newton essentially get slaughtered in primetime in the first game of the season against the Denver Broncos. And I talked to a couple of referees that weekend. It was a Thursday night game. And I remember the disbelief that they had at in 2016 at this point, how bad the NFL was protecting anybody. You have 
really specific rules on who can throw flags on what as far as, you know, oh, this this referee is in the backfield and he can only throw things on the quarterback, can't can't throw a holding penalty, whatever. First of all, give them all the leeway they want. Make them like airline pilots. They can do whatever the hell they want, right? They they have full control. The other thing is just give them more flexibility. If that referee thought Danny Trevathan should have been thrown out of the game, just throw him out of the game. Just throw him out of the game. I don't care. I don't care about the rule book. I don't care about intent or crown of the helmet. All that stuff is so dense that that it is meaningless. Throw him out of the game. And they should be able to review that play. I absolutely think they should be able to go look back and look at that tape and see what it actually looks like. Because those plays do happen so quickly. One, he didn't. He got flagged. But you should be able to go back and look at that, in my opinion, and say, what should we do with this? Because it's that important of a decision. We've seen this, Kevin. It's been incremental since those initial defenseless receiver rules came in. When we had the first blow to the head rules, I think there were guys who changed their approach. Look at a guy like Cam Chancellor or Keanu Neal, guys that are considered hitters but rarely get flagged for doing it because they have changed the way they go about this. But even after that initial step, there has to be more steps than that. You can't just say, well, we have flags now. I think that it has to go further, and that's a great example. You have the flag, but that's not enough. You have to do more than just ding a guy for 15 yards for perpetuating a play like that. I mean, it is is the biggest problem in the NFL right now, because right now, Ann McKee told Sports Illustrated, I think, and she's the researcher at Boston University. She told Sports Illustrated that the test for CTE, she thinks, in living people is about five years away. There's a couple of wrinkles there. Number one, the players could go back, the ex-players could go back and sue the league because CTE is not covered in the concussion mm-hmm. settlement. There's there's a lot of things there. It's very dense. Don't, don't, I, I, that that's far off, okay? But if the NFL isn't going to help itself, and the NFL is going to let guys like Devontae Adams take those hits, then whatever happens in five years, the NFL deserves. Whatever happens, if there starts to be a death cycle and in 30 years nobody plays football, and we talked about this on the podcast Brian Curtis on Wednesday, football is going to thrive for the next 20 to 25 years. But what happens with CTE and the living testing is that the, the liability, you know, does high, do high school programs get rid of football? If they can, if, 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 if three guys in the team have CTE, do colleges say this is not worth it for us? Or do they say liability wise, if you have CTE, you can never play football again? I mean, there are so many wrinkles coming. And if the NFL isn't going to help itself and make the game safe, and I know they're trying, I know they're trying, but if they're not going to make the game safe and do things like throw Danny Trevathan out of the freaking game, then I, I do not, I do not know what to expect from the future of football. And the reason the CTE thing is, I mean, it's a game changer for so many different reasons. But one of those is that the study done at Boston University and the math and the numbers that have come back on CTE in those patients, that's a self-selecting sample. Those players were, their brains were sent to Boston University in part because they had shown symptoms of CTE and their families were concerned about them. Now, if you played football and there's an easy way for you to get tested, even if it's not that easy, people are going to do it. I've thought if it happens and if it's reasonable and if it is not financially prohibitive, I will do it. I will. I will take I've had at least four or five concussions. I play football for 10 years. I will do it. And can you imagine? Because I'm I am concerned. It is something I have absolutely thought about because I remember how that felt. Just that tingle in your face. And at the time, I liked it. And there's part of you that that's an attractive element of the game. And now it's crazy and it's kind of terrifying. That that's the way we used to think about it. But if you played for 20 years, 25, if you're a guy that's in the league for a decade and a half, I can't imagine what the prospect of this test and what it can tell you is going to change for people. And it it really is. And it's five years is not that long. It's a long time to, you know, it it seems like a long time in, in certain elements, but it's really not. And the fact that we're that close, possibly, it's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I had two concussions as well. Um, one was from hockey and one was getting punched in the face. And um, and so I, I probably, I, you know, you played football for how many years? A decade, 10. Okay, I played football for three years. I, I'm, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I would take the test. I don't, I'm not tremendously concerned um, as far as my, my well-being goes. Um, but, I mean, there are going to be people like you all over America who want to take it because they're just not sure why are they – 
Um, why are they forgetting their keys? Why are they more susceptible to snap? Why are they, you know, why do they have different diseases? You know, I mean, you, you look at some of the things that have been linked. There's some very serious diseases that have been linked to, to CTE. And if you have a disease and you say, okay, I, uh, I have, I, I'm going to take the test for CTE. It turns out you have CTE. Do you then go back and sue your high school? Do you go back? I'm not, not you specifically. I'm talking about people who are later in, in life and, and have these diseases. I mean, the, the, the layers here are, I mean, limitless. That is where the questions are going to start to arise, right? Where does negligence and ignorance, where do they start and where do they stop? When do we know enough about this to the point that administrators, coaches should save kids from themselves? I mean, do we know enough now? I think those are the questions that are in place. And I don't know the answers to them because they're extremely complicated. But those are the ones that are going to come up over and over and over again over the next decade. Yeah, it's going to be. If you think the last 10 years have been weird as far as the NFL focusing on health and safety and changing the rules and all that. I mean, wait till wait till that test comes down the pike, man. I mean, it is it is going to be the. Most fascinating decade of football you can possibly imagine. Well, we still got to talk about football, though. Yeah, we're here. We, and we will. And we will. And we're going to. As always, we're going to be here on Friday to get you set for the weekend. And we're going to be back on Tuesday to react to everything that goes down in week four. We'll have our colleague Danny Kelly joining us with some great fantasy advice later. And our in-house GM, Michael Lombardi, will be joining us as well. But for now, let's get going with our favorite four. Those are our top four matchups of the weekend. Robert, start us out. I went with Panthers Patriots just because I think it's a really important game for Carolina. I mean, the way they've looked over the first three weeks, I wrote a little bit about them um, this week on Thursday when I talked about some of the teams that have succeeded and failed without a traditional number one receiver. Yeah. And Carolina has failed. And we've seen, we talked about this all preseason, right? The idea that the Panthers would have to be a little more creative in their passing game with Samuel and McCaffrey. And Mm -hmm. they have been to a point But the difference to me that I see with the Panthers that I've seen with Tennessee or Kansas City or even New England to a certain degree, these teams that don't have a Julio Jones and Antonio Brown, this guy that I've compared it to like a guy that can get you a bucket in the last minute of a game on his own. That's what a number one receiver is to me. Gronk is that, but he's a tight end. It's a little bit different. They've been able to succeed without those guys. And Carolina, it feels like the stuff they have for McCaffrey, the stuff they have for Samuel, They are packages. They're not the offense. They're trying to wedge these specific elements into who they are instead of ingraining them into who they are. And I think you've seen the bumps in that road. Cam is a part of that. He's made some bad decisions. He's made some awkward throws. The pick to McCaffrey was the type of stuff we talked about in the preseason against New Orleans. He throws a bullet to him three yards off the line of scrimmage on an angle route and it gets picked off. Good stuff. I mean, it's, it's we don't know how he was going to handle all of this stuff. And it's been a problem. I'm curious to see what they look like against the Patriots defense that has struggled so far. Are they going to be able to move the ball? Is it going to look a little bit more natural? How much does Samuel get involved now that Olsen is gone for however long? We don't know what's going to go on with Kelvin Benjamin here. He's dinged up. So what the, the Panthers offense looks like against that New England defense, who's been the worst in the league by advanced metrics through three weeks. That's something I really want to see. Newton coming off three interceptions against the Patriots defense we're not sure about. I'm writing for the ringer.com this week about just this is the week where there's a lot of matchups. We get to learn things about teams we're not sure about. And I think both of these teams qualify to different degrees. Both of these teams have massive holes. The New England media focus this week on Tom Brady getting hit a lot. I think that's a big deal, man. I think it's a big deal. He's been knocked down 19 times so far because he's 40 years old, FYI. And so I, I'm really fascinated with, with just where where both these teams are going. And I just want, I, man, I, I'm intrigued to see what happens this week because I'm not really sure. I don't know what to expect from either of these teams. I mean, the, the, the Patriots could easily be one and two, very, very easily without some incredible Brady heroics. And so now they're going against the Panthers team who, you know, I'm, they, beat, they beat San Francisco, which is fine. But I mean, last week was, was kind of worrying for them. You needed that offense to be better against New Orleans. You just needed it. That's something you needed to see. Based My on advice what is to the first not have weeks. a horseshit offense when you're playing New Orleans. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because they're so we'll going to score a lot of points. I think that a big part of Brady getting hit so much last week, you know, Soldier's banged up. He played, but he wasn't healthy. There was a chance he wasn't going to. Cannon didn't play. He should be back this week. So mm-hmm. their line gets back. I think they should be okay. You know, that's a situation where it's hard to sustain against that Houston defensive line, no matter who's up front, let alone backups. But you're kind of in the same boat this week, right? Like Carolina has decent players up there. 
And if you're not healthy, they're going to beat you up. So I agree. I I think they're going to be fine. I'm not too worried about the Brady hits thing. It's not good to see him get them, but I don't think it's going to be a long-term problem. All right, buddy, what's your first one? Broncos Raiders. Because, again, this continues on the theme. This (laughs) continues on the theme. What do we know about these teams? Because I thought I knew what both of these teams were on Sunday morning last week, which was the Broncos are going to be steady. Trevor Simeon's going to get you a few plays per game, and the defense is going to carry you. I don't know that anymore because the 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 Bills stacked the box and they, and they look like complete crap. Okay, the Broncos look like complete crap. The defense wasn't nearly as good as they could have been. They allowed twenty six points. Yeah. So the Raiders, I thought I knew what they were too. I thought they were an offensive juggernaut who would have defensive holes that would show up every once in a while. Gary and Conley and Obi Mel and Follow have both been hurt. Obi will be will be gone long term. Conley's back, back practicing. So I thought they would show up and they would win in Washington. 30 to 24, 30 to 21, something like that. That's what we wanted to see. We talked about it last week. We wanted to see the Raiders go in and beat up Washington, and it just didn't happen. Uh, yeah, it, it did the opposite of happening. Yep. It, it not only didn't happen, didn't come close to happening, and now I don't know what the hell the Raiders are. I don't remember a time in September, and we again, we talk about this all the time, the good teams use this extended preseason, et cetera, et cetera, but... I, I'm I'm very confused about the NFL right now. The Raiders last week were interesting. I was watching the game and having some conversations about them, and it feels like I mean, we talked about this before the year that Todd Downey might be an upgrade for them in offense as an offensive coordinator. Sure. But he's still a first-year offensive coordinator, and it felt like all the empty they were doing and throwing five receivers at the problem, even when Washington was bringing a little bit of heat, was that they were trying to get a spark. They were trying to get something going, and it just wasn't working. Rather than just trusting who they were, they were really pressing to make something happen. I think that was one of the issues. The other thing about this game that I'm interested about, remember that game last year? It was a Sunday night game when Oakland beat up on Denver. Yeah. And they ran the ball. They It was 38 carries among their best three running backs. Latavius Murray went for 100 yards. The Denver defense right now is not a group that's just getting pushed around like it was at times last season. Sure. They've actually stopped the run extremely well. Sean McCoy was tough sledding last week. So the formula that they used to beat the the Broncos last year doesn't seem like it will be as readily available. So I'm curious to see what Oakland's approach will be because we haven't seen them beat a Broncos team the same way we've seen them beat other teams. I'm I can't believe Trevor Simeon is not a great quarterback, like he suggested the first two weeks of the well, season. We're gonna get into the Bills defense here in a little bit when I talk Ooh. about what to watch for this weekend. But I, I think that they might be a little better than people think. Yeah, Denver allowing 2.6 yards per carry at this point, so what's, that is best in the league. What's your next game? Uh, my next one is Rams Cowboys, which is <laughs> even looks weird. <laughs> even even like putting it in there seems strange to me. But uh, I really want to see what this Rams team looks like against a real team because we haven't really yep. done. That. I mean, yep. they lost to Washington, but the game was close. I, I feel like them against Dallas. I want to see what that offense looks like against this Cowboys defense. We'll see what kind of havoc Lawrence can wreak. I mean, he's going against Rob Havenstein probably most of the game. Havenstein's fine. He's not an excellent pass blocker by any means. So we'll see how much of an impact he can have and where the Rams go outside of that. I mean, can they take advantage of a Cowboys secondary? It's still a little banged up. Everything else. It's just I, similar to what you said about Carolina and a lot of teams this week. I want to find out what these teams are a quarter way in the season. And the Rams playing against the Cowboys, I think, is a good opportunity for that. Yeah, I mean, the the the. I, I don't know what to say about the Rams because it's, it's, that's exactly right. It's hard. There isn't much to say. We there. They look competent. Golf looks so much better. But where are the limitations of that? And I think this is one of those games where you find out. I, I what the hell are is the Rams good? Because I, I, I don't know what to believe. There's a Jets Jaguars game this week that isn't a tire fire. Like what's going on in the NFL? It's a great question. I know what I do know is my team is still bad. Well, yeah, <laughs> I know you can, that for you can, buddy, you can set your watch by that. But <laughs> exactly, at least there's some things we can still rely on. It's like I went to sleep for a hundred years, and all of a sudden the Jets and the Jaguars are playing, and they're both coming off wins. And the Rams are an offensive are literally the best offense in the league. It's really fun to see how competent the Rams have been. We talked about this last week, and they haven't played this since is, last this is podcast. The, we're we we're had, stuck but. in the world's most boring Black Mirror episode. <laughs> I just, we talked about this. I think McVay is really good. I think that they added a ton of weapons and, and I feel like 
they just have a functional NFL offense. It's fun to watch, which is a weird thing. And the idea that they're just going to force feed Gurley in the passing sure. game too. There's so many wrinkles to this that I enjoy. I think that they've approached this in the best way possible, but it's also we've McVay's been a play caller for a couple of years now, but with a new team, it's a little bit different. You know, you're going to tailor some stuff, to your personnel, whatever. It's almost like a pitcher with a new approach that you haven't seen. And then he goes one time through the league and people know what they're looking for. I mean, there's a chance we see that with the Rams, but right now he's a guy with really good stuff that people aren't ready for. How do you feel about the Wade Phillips revenge game? It's been so long, though. I don't know. He's been I in two like, different I spots. Like Wade, I feel like we're still doing like the Wade Phillips revenge game in like Buffalo still. You know, like I feel like people like Wade Phillips so much. They Here's just want to write about him. Do you think Wade Phillips gives a shit? <laughs> Wade Phillips does not seem like a man I bent think, on revenge. I think he does give a shit. Really? Yeah. I mean, uh. I, I think he, I, yeah, I think he gives a shit. I I, I have a theory that uh, and, it's, and by theory, I mean, it's an informed it's a semi-informed opinion. Coaches really, really care when they get fired a lot more than you think. Like yeah, there I be, guess that's fair. I, sometimes I'll be talking to a coach and I'll bring up like, I don't know, it'll be just like a head coach. And then like, I'll bring up a team that he coached at six jobs ago. And I'll be like, fucking assholes. Yeah. And I'll be like, what? No one is more salty yeah, than Bruce like, Arians in Pittsburgh though. Bruce right. Arians is still so salty. <laughs> that, that's not who I was referencing, but I mean, I, I, that is a classic example, Robert. And, and, and but they're just like, sometimes you'd be like, this guy fired me as a defensive backs coach. It'll be like an ownership group that, you know, like the owner died 35 years ago. It's like, a man that loves holding grudges though. I don't mind that. I kind of, I really do identify with that inclination for sure. I hold grudges and I just forget about them. I That's like kind of what I'm thinking about Wade. Wade seems to be having a good time. I man. just forget <laughs> who I'm angry at and then I, I, I can't, I can't get my, you know, am I still angry at this person? Mm. And then I just, I just, I'm nice to them and I go play FIFA and watch the Pacific. All right. What's our fourth one here? All right. This is another one of these games. Lions, Vikings. I don't know. Is Case Keenum okay? No. He had 369 <laughs> yards last week, Robert. I understand that. I watched the game very closely. Case Keenum is not good. Case Keenum threw the ball in the general direction of the players he should have, which that is, that's where I'm capping my support here. All right. So I want to talk about Jeff Fisher for a second. <laughs> Jeff Fisher. I would love to see how you get here with this. These are two teams Jeff Fisher has not coached. He coached Case Keenum and he coached Jared Goff. And okay, he made fine. them look as incompetent as any quarterbacks I've ever seen. They had the worst defense in the league last year. If you haven't noticed, in case you missed it, guys, Jeff Fisher had essentially this a very similar and obviously they're offensive line upgrades. They got Robert Woods, whatever. Well, the pass catchers are different. I mean, yeah. Woods, yeah. Cup, Gerald Everett, the pass no, catchers no, no, are no. entirely I, different. I understand that. But Woods, Cup, and Andrew Whitworth do not make you go from 32nd in the NFL to first in the NFL and score. That is fair. But with Sammy Watkins is also good. <laughs> They've had they a lot not, of players. I, I, none of these things take you from 32nd to 31st. That is correct. And more crucially, none of these teams take you none of those things and nor do the Minnesota Vikings supporting cast take you from what Case Keenum looked like last year to 369 yards and 142 quarterback rating. What was Jeff Fisher doing last year? It's a very good question. I was really impressed with Minnesota last week though. I mean, I just, it makes me feel so bad for Sam Bradford more than anything else. Speaking of Jeff Fisher, uh, it makes me feel so bad for Bradford because like, why the hell can't that guy stay healthy when it matters? The one time last year, the entire supporting cast around him crumbled. Diggs gets hurt. The entire offensive line gets hurt. He has no running backs. And then this year, they all look excellent. Both receivers are stellar. He has Dalvin Cook now, and he's the one that can't stay healthy. It's like, man, that guy. I mean, he could really dry his tears with all the money that he's made, and it makes me feel not as bad for him. But still, that is a rough break. That's, that's a tough deal. What do we think about the Lions? I think the Lions are solid, man. Could have won last week. I think the Lions are solid. I feel like their defense has been better than I thought they were going to be. They're opportunistic. Austin has been a lot better. I've always liked Glover Quinn as a guy that can sh- just change a game instantly. He's really got a nose for the ball. He did it again last week. I know it was a tipped ball, but still. Slay is that guy. I think the defense is better than I thought it was going to be, and the offense is still pretty solid. 
You know, the, Stafford makes stuff happen. I like the supporting cast. I feel like this game has a chance to be really entertaining in a way that I did not. I'm curious to see what that team looks like on the road against this Vikings defense and this Vikings secondary, who's still pretty good. But I do believe that Detroit's a pretty solid team. I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the hell is going to happen in the NFC North. I assume the Packers are going to run away and hide just from what I've seen. But on the other hand, man, I mean, the Packers are so banged up right now. If they were playing a decent team, yeah, you're three, three and one. I know. I and know. Three and one and they have half their team hurt. I, if it amazing. was going to go wrong, it already would have gone wrong. They're going to be amazing. just fine. It's kind of terrifying. That throw, let's talk about the Rodgers throw one time for 10 seconds. The mm-hmm. one to Jordy. I put it on a clip of it on Twitter last night. People are like, oh, wasn't that good of a throw? <laughs> the ball wobbled a tiny bit. He also reset his feet in the pocket, barely off one foot, threw the ball on the run while resetting and running up six yards within his own pocket, throwing it off of a foot without setting and threw 50 yards in the air to a guy that was open. The guy is an alien. I mean, what he's doing right now and what they're able to do without any, they were in their third running back yesterday. They had no offensive tackles. I understand the bears aren't great. The Bears aren't horrendous on defense. They're fine. And the Packers still did what they want. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I think should when should they fire John Fox? There's no reason to do it before the season ends. Like there's no unless they're not going to put Trubisky and there's no reason to do it before the season ends. Um, yeah, I what if they don't put what do Trubisky you gain? in? What if, what, see, because the thing is, the sort of Rosetta Stone that everybody's talking about is that John Fox waited until week nine to put in Tim Tebow. I just don't know what you need to see. He left the door wide open last night. They said, I mean, he's been pretty adamant that Mike Lennon's a starting uh, he quarterback. He probably thinks he's about to get fired, which is true, right? It's, it's just, it was awful. The fact that you can't get a snap off, it, like that kind of stuff is what does, isn't totally unreasonable. They have to take a timeout because somebody lined up wrong on a third down. Like, is, I understand it's Thursday night. You get three days to prepare, whatever. These are backup receivers, everything else. The arguments make sense to me. Still an NFL team. I mean, it's I, I've reached my breaking point with all of this. Oh, what are you going to do? I'm just done. Are I'm you just done. Stop watching the no, Bears. I'm, I'm just I'm going to bitch until Trubisky's in the game. I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. I just that is the only thing. The fact that they drafted him second overall is actually a great thing for long-suffering Bears fans because mm-hmm. no matter how bad it gets, there's still this far-off beacon of hope because he played so well what in about, the preseason and if, because he was a second overall pick. What if he gets in the game and is bad? It, it doesn't matter. He's a rookie quarterback without much help on the outside. I mean, mm-hmm. there's only He can only be so bad for me to be completely disheartened. We saw what Jared Goff did last year. We, saw what he's, we see what he's doing now. If you're a rookie quarterback without a great structural support system, I'm not too concerned. I'm not going to toss you out right away. Okay. All right. I'm 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 rooting for you, buddy. Thanks, bud. I appreciate it. Your support means the world. Okay. It's time for my hottest take that I actually kind of believe. And what we're doing here is an informed hot take. It's not just pulling it out of thin air. We're 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 really trying to make these as informed an opinion as humanly possible. And this one, it's not even a hot take, and I'm not even going that far with it, but. I kind of like the Jaguars having a winning record at this point. I mean, they're two and one, and I I, I kind of look at them like I look at the Rams, which is, I mean, when you score points and you blow teams out, that's usually an indication that you're pretty good. That's the whole thing, you know. That that that's that's it. Scoring differential matters, and and it's because if you blow teams out, you're usually pretty good. The Jaguars have now won two games. By blowouts, both of them were pretty good. I, you know, it's not like they're playing the Browns. They beat. And they the also Texans. lost to Tennessee, who's they, really yeah, good. They beat the Texans, and they beat the Ravens. Both of them in just amazing fashion. I like old nine and seven from from the Duval crew. Uh, I've been impressed. I mean, I think that what we've seen from them, it's mostly about their defense. I think that their formula yeah. is correct. You know, we're going to lean on Fournette, <laughs> take Bortles out of the game for the most part, except against Baltimore, where he got to do like three good play action passes. And the defense reminds me a little bit of like a morphed version of what happened with the Giants last year. Uh-huh. So you have this really big free agent class. Campbell comes in and is playing as well as he's ever played, which is so impressive to get that contract at 30 and be the best version of yourself. Right. Boye comes in and is playing well. And then you have this stable of young talent with the giants. It was mostly just landing Collins with the Jaguars. There's a trio of guys 
Dante Fowler looks like a real NFL pass rusher. Which I cannot believe. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. And when you combine that with Campbell and then Yannick Ngakwe is in that group, he was a rookie last season who is, he's fantastic. He, uh, after week one, I think, or week two, he had the fastest sacks in the league, which I think is a really cool stat because sacks are often misleading. We talked about this. You clean up stats, you get hustle sacks, which count. But if you can impact a play instantly, that's so much different. And he's been doing that. And then, Miles Jack. I mean, the guy comes off of a devastating knee injury. People are worried about that, understandably. He has a middling rookie year, and he's come in and played extremely well. And what's curious about them right now is they have the worst rush defense in the league and the best pass defense. Yeah. That is a distribution that I enjoy. Pass defense to me matters much more than if you can stop the run. And the fact that they have Jalen Ramsey and Boye back there, the safeties are solid. Colvin's a decent nickel corner. Their linebackers sure. can cover with Smith and Jack. It's, it's a perfect pass defense as it's currently constructed. And again, on paper, who knows? But it came together. It looks exactly how they want it to. It's going to be fun to watch them for the rest of the year. I said Doug Marone was a good coach on one of these pods. I know, I think it was a couple of us were on the same pod she over the offseason. solid off in Buffalo, man. Well, I was ripped so thoroughly that I had to couch it a hundred different ways. But I'm back. <laughs> I'm back, baby. Doug Brown rules. I'm proud of you. All right, Robert. (laughs) Week four, it's time for our what are we missing of the week? And and that's just we're all we're all looking at all the big storylines. But Robert Mays, you've got something we need to keep our eye on. This one's kind of fascinating to me. I mean, it's Atlanta's offense against Buffalo's defense. And we talked about this a little bit before with Denver not looking very good last week. But the Bills have been very surprising. We talked about this with Danny a little bit earlier in the week, just kind of the formula Buffalo's used to look like this. And it's outside of what you'd normally expect from Doug or Doug McDermott. It is. It's different than what you'd expect from Doug. But what Sean McDermott had did in Carolina was pretty conservative defensively. You know, we saw them eschew cornerback value for a long time. They waited in the draft. They let Josh Norman walk. And then they go out and get Tredavious White in the first round this year. And what they've done is kind of perform this aggressive style of defense that's really conducive to the players that they have. So looking at this game, it's kind of weird because McDermott was the coordinator in Carolina. You know, he has how many games against Atlanta under his belt? He has at least four games. He has four games with this current version of Atlanta's offense. If you consider this an extension of the Shanahan one, but in reality, I think that what Atlanta might be better off doing in formulating their game plan is looking at what they did against Denver last year. It's a very similar style. So you have five-man pressures a lot. They're bringing one extra guy. And then you have physical man-to-man defense on the outside and a defense that has their worst pass defenders on the inside of linebacker. So mm-hmm. I feel like traditionally you see Atlanta kind of spread teams out, everything else, try to hit those soft coverages in the zone, which you saw Julio do a ton in that 300-yard game last year. But it feels like this year we could see against McDermott a version of that approach where they use both backs as pass catchers. Mm-hmm. So you had those formations where Coleman and Freeman were both on the field. You had Coleman in the slot, sometimes Freeman and a real way to spread those guys out and man and take advantage of those matchups. I feel like that's not something we would have seen a lot against Carolina because they're just not that style of defense. They tear up yards after catch, but with the type of style the Buffalo is playing so much, man, so much extra pressure. It just feels like that's the way to go about it. Because if I told you before the season that Atlanta's receivers might be a stalemate against Buffalo's corners, you would have laughed at me. But White and Gaines are playing so well that it just feels like that's not the way to attack the Bills, which I never would have thought coming into the season. Sean McDermott's a good coach. Yeah, it's funny. I like seeing guys that can be flexible, that can say, I don't have to be this because I've been this. I want to see what our guys do well and what we should attack teams with. Yeah, and and that that's the amazing thing. I was up there in August in Buffalo and Rochester when they were in training camp, and we were just talking. You know, McDermott's one of these guys who I don't want to. He's obsessed with culture, and that's why he wanted to get Sammy Watkins out of there. That's why uh, if they could have cut some more guys, they would have. As far as um, you know, there's some guys on big money contracts. I think that. They didn't tell me this, but that's that's the the the, the vibe I got is that they they wish they could have overhauled the roster completely. Yeah, Marshall but Darius the, probably would not be there. The Whaley contract sort of saddled them with some some really uh, tricky situations, and so 
they got rid of who they wanted to get rid of, and then they were just going to go forward. And I was surprised. I I had said uh, in the middle of the um, of the offseason that I thought that the Bills had a chance to really compete for a playoff spot had they not gone in the direction they went in. But maybe maybe we were wrong. Maybe Sammy Watkins. Maybe there's some Ewing theory with Sammy Watkins or Ronald Darby, who obviously um, has been injured in 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 Philadelphia. And so I think that there's a. Um, I, I'm just really impressed with that new regime. It took them five seconds to compete. It's great. I think it's just the level of talent they've already gotten yeah. and knowing the players that they want. I mean, the fact that they, we talk about that Watkins trade, like it was for a second round pick. They got gains back. Yep. He's been really good. I know he's on a contract here. So, I mean, it's not as if he's guaranteed to be there for long term. It's not that valuable of an asset, but he's been a solid player for them already. And then trading down from 10 to 27 and getting white and getting another first round pick next year, it looks pretty damn good so far. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, I, I'm 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 so impressed. I love all. I love Brandon Bean, even though he wasn't in charge of the draft. I love Sean McDermott. I'm I'm in on the Bills. Yeah, I'm it's in. been a fun team to watch so far. I'll be curious to see what Humber can do, what Roman Humber can do against those running backs this week. I think they might struggle more than they have, but this is a matchup I would not have been interested in before the season. I definitely am. Having said all this about the Bills, I think maybe the Falcons might blow them out. I don't know if I'll blow them out. That's kind of what I'm saying. I think it might be closer than, than people would think just because of how good that Bills defense has been. So we'll see if they can travel. You know, that's a question. They played Denver at home last week, but Atlanta's sure. a tough thing to do on the road. It's going to be a fun one, though. Robert, when we're traveling around the country on last minute trips during the NFL season, what's the worst part? It's definitely waking up in New York after a Nine Inch Nails concert not being able to record the podcast. <laughs> That was the worst yeah, one. That is a 100% true story. Okay, what's the second worst thing? I would say finding a good hotel. I mean, yeah. that's always a problem for me. Right, but that changes now because we've got Hotel Tonight. It's an app that helps you find great hotel deals at the last minute. Yeah, it's pretty great. Unlike flights, hotel rooms actually get cheaper at the last minute. And Kevin, I know that you need your super cool rooms. And I know that this might be a problem with other services, but it's not here. But what if you actually do have some time to plan, Robert? You're still good to go. Even though it's called Hotel Tonight, you actually book your room up to a week in advance, and it all takes up to 10 seconds. Just three taps and a swipe. So download the Hotel Tonight app now. Okay, it's time to welcome in our in-house Ringer General Manager, Michael Lombardi. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Robert. How are you? You alive, Robert? So much of me has died, right? <laughs> including my soul. Physically, it has as well, but I think my soul is mostly just black and blue and curdled at this point, so it's hard <laughs> to hurt me anymore. Yeah, I can understand that. That was painful last night. That was really painful. Yeah, we, we've, we've chatted about it. It's uh, I'm all set with everything that's going on. Well, good. I won't bring up old wounds then. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. So, Mike, we talked about what an odd weekend week three was. I think it's it's pretty well known at this point. And so many teams need to bounce back week. We're not, we were talking earlier, the Jets and the Jaguars are playing this week, and we're not even sure that's a bad game. Like, that's how weird the NFL has gotten. So there are teams that need, well, good teams need to bounce back week. Probably no one more than the Steelers and the Ravens. Yeah. And the Ravens who lost to the aforementioned Jaguars. Tell us about that game, what you're looking at there. Well, you know, this is a, a an interesting game. The Ravens have been able to dominate in in their stadium. I think they're, they have a six-game or seven-game winning streak in their own stadium, so they've been really playing well at home. Uh, next week, they have to travel. I mean, the NFL is amazing. They send the Ravens to London a week ago. They bring them home to play another game against the divisional rival, the Steelers. And, oh, next week, they've got to go out to Oakland. So this is like a really huge game for them. I mean, and they have to be able to play a style against Pittsburgh that they usually do at home, which means Flacco can't throw it 40 times. Right. Anytime Flacco throws it 40 times, the Ravens are going to be in trouble. they got to find a way to run the ball. I'm sure the Steelers will do a better job of defending the run than they did against the Bears. But you they hope so. You would think so, right? <laughs> and so I, I think the key to this game is going to be Big Ben has turned the ball over. They've, the Steelers' offense has turned the ball over seven times in the last three games in, in Baltimore. And I think that's really what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to the Steelers. Can they hold on to the ball? And Le'Veon Bell hasn't had his best game against the Steel against the Ravens in Baltimore has been 73 yards in 2013. So it isn't like he's been dominating either. So I, I think this is one of those rivalries that goes back and forth. It comes down to turnovers. It comes down to the special teams. I think Baltimore can eke this one out, though. Is, are you worried when you say that? And, and it just feels like what we've seen in the first three weeks. That makes sense, but. 
How worried are you about the Steelers offense? I mean, do you feel like this is something that is going to continue? Do you think it's just early season hiccups? I mean, how bad is it right now? Well, when you watch the tape, I mean, you saw the Bears game. I think Ben missed from the open throws. I mean, Ben has not played well. I think when you look at that draft class, Ben, Eli, and Phillip Rivers, none of these guys have played well. I mean, Ben has played better than the other two, but they haven't played well. And Ben hasn't played to the level I think he's been he's been at in prior years. And so, to me, they the Steelers have always had a problem of protecting the football when they play Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And if they don't protect the football, they're not going to win. And Bell's got to get going. They really haven't been able to get their running game going. They haven't been able to really get into a rhythm on offense. I mean, the first week against Cleveland, okay, it's the first week. The second week, yeah, not so good. The third week, really bad. So, I mean, this is a time where their offense needs to turn it on. But I don't know if Ben's there as he was in the past. When you talk about retirement, yep. you really are retired. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. I, you know, I, I, you know this as as well as anybody being in the front office. The moment someone starts talking about it in their mind, they have retired. Yeah, I, I just think to me, and he hasn't played like the first play of the, the Bears game. He's got a guy wide open, and he doesn't make the throw. You know, and look, they beat Minnesota with Case Keenum, who Case Keenum has come back and played well the next week, but. So I don't want to discount that win uh, at home against Minnesota, but they just haven't been in a rhythm. And I think it starts with the fact that they haven't been able to control the line of scrimmage and get their running game going and get balanced. I think both quarterbacks in this game can't throw the ball 40 times. I mean, I think that's really clear. And the Steelers have to be able to get Bell going against a really good Raven run defense that didn't play real good last week against uh, the, the the Jaguars. Brandon Williams, be back this week? I'm told yes, but... You know, who knows? Uh, you know, I think the Ravens feel like he can. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I think that's He hasn't the, practiced yet, it looks like. Yeah, that's that, a big thing. That's we saw the, how important he is. That's the key to the, what they're doing defensively. But, you know, the one thing about the Ravens is this This is, I think they kind of locked off that trip to Jacksonville. You know, they practiced too much. They didn't really have the routine down. What they can't let happen is let the Jacksonville loss cost them to another yeah. loss. They can't mm-hmm. like like live in that loss anymore, and they've got to move forward. And I think it starts with they've got to be able to do something on offense that doesn't involve Flacco having to carry the load, and they can't play from behind. I mean, this is a team that cannot play from behind. It also looks like Tewitt and Water are going to be back for Pittsburgh, which I know two players don't make the difference, but having Tewitt back in the middle of that defense – it mattered last week. You they you they missed him against Chicago, and I think that having him back is going to matter if the Ravens do sit there and just try to lean on the run. Well, look, the inside of this Raven offensive line is is Sir Kerr, number sixty eight, seventy four Hurst, and sixty six Jensen. I mean, those guys are not yeah. really good. I mean, it's hard to win with that in the, as your inside offensive line, and that's the problem. And they have to their offensive line has taken a huge amount of injuries, and they haven't been able to overcome them because it's hard to find linemen out on the street. The Yonda injury has really affected them, and I think that's really going to be the biggest issue is is can they block the Steelers. I mean, Hargrave is a sneaky good player for Pittsburgh, too. I love him. And when Tuit comes back, that makes Hargrave even better. He's able to do a lot of stuff. I just feel like even as a pass rusher, he pushes the pocket well. They've done a good job getting guys on that front. I mean, they struggled in that spot for a while. I feel like there was a gap after kind of the Casey Hampton stretch where they didn't have many good players up there. And I think that they've hit it right now. I mean, him, Tuit, everything else, they're going to be a problem. And it's weird that four weeks into the season, I feel much better about the Steelers' defense when they're healthy than I do about the offense. Yeah, well, you know, it all depends on how the Steelers want to play. I mean, last week they didn't defend the run worth a darn, and this week can they defend the passing game against the Ravens? I mean, Flacco's had nine touchdowns in the last three games against some four interceptions. I mean, look, the Ravens have to be careful what they do offensively because their line's a problem, Flacco's a problem, and the consistency in what they do is a problem. And I think that helps the Steelers' defense as they start to get accustomed. And I think some of those players, Wilcock had an interception last week. I think you see Hayden start to get more comfortable with what they're trying to do. I, I think there's a little bit of more comfort in their secondary because they have some experience and not relying on those young players all the time. Many teams need to make a statement after week three. Who else stands out to you, Mike? Uh, who, who really needs a win? I think the Battle of Ohio is an interesting game. Okay, I, Ooh, I know. I, wow. I, th- I think that, you know, look, it, it, if you're Marvin Lewis and you come home and you lose to Cleveland, on the road. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you're saying to yourself, look, uh, you know, you've talked about retirement. You talked about an extension. I mean, where are you going with this football team? Right. You lose to Cleveland. You're a better team. I mean, this this Bengal team, I know people focus on their injuries. This is not a bad team at all. No. And they've got a lot of good young players. I mean, and, and so for me, if I'm Marvin, this is a must win for me, because if I want to keep coaching past 2017, I got to win this game. Now, I know it's against the Browns and everybody. take, But if you lose to the Browns, it's like Chuck Pagano. If he would have lost to the Browns, like you're now in a situation where. 
Are you gonna, yeah, I got to fire the guy. I mean, you 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 know he's whether you're going to make it or not. And so these kind of games are really like these are the most stressful games the coach can have. And if you're the Browns and you're Hugh Jackson, at some point you got to say to yourself, I can win a game because I'm I could out scheme somebody, I could out coach somebody. I mean, the excuses are running out in Cleveland. At some point, you know, you're one and what are we one and eighteen of the last nineteen games. You yeah. Know, I, I, you know, where, what direction are you saying we're going in if you lose to Cincinnati, who's 0-3-2? So to me, the Battle of Ohio is going to be the most interesting so game. You're saying the Browns are like Kentucky in the SEC or something, or as soon as you lose to them, you're just out. Well, I mean, I think when your coach is on a hot seat or <laughs> yeah. your coach has got – or your team's very um, – very concerned mentally, mm-hmm. and they're, they're fragile in what mm-hmm. they want to do. I think when you lose to a team like the Browns, you can. And, and look, I think the Bengals could be good on defense. I think they played Green Bay really well. Uh, you know, I think that they've done a better job offensively with Laser than they did with Zampisi. They tried at least run an offense as opposed to just run a bunch of plays. So I'm not as down on Cincinnati, but to me, if they lose to Cleveland, then you have to say, wait a minute. You know, the thing about football, it's either players, coaches, or schemes. And so you try to, most of the time, that three dimensions creates problems. And I think that when you lose to Cleveland, you kind of say to yourself, we have better players in Cleveland. Did we get out coached? Did we get out schemed? Yeah. And that becomes the problem. Mike, what about the Seahawks? I, I don't know what to make of Seattle. I really don't. I mean, Seattle's a team that I, I have, I had, I thought they're going to turn the corner and they have never been a great September team. I mean, they have never been. I think mm-hmm. Pete Carroll's, you know, is 15 and 10 in the month of September, something yeah. like that. He hasn't been great. I think it's time to turn around. I mean, if they can't handle Indianapolis at home. Okay, in Indianapolis, who's the number one team in the league and running the ball on first down, which is exactly what Seattle wants you to do, is be in second and ten, and second and twelve. Uh, so I, I just think to me, at some point, they got to start playing good and they got to find their niche. And right now, they haven't. And Indianapolis is the perfect team to play if you're looking to find your niche. Bucks, how you feel? I mean, that, well, I, I, I don't know what to we, make. We of the were Bucks. all, but that's that's the entire NFL I don't right know what now. To make. I mean, the Bucks. That's are, the entire NFL. I mean, I, I thought the Bucks. Look like, I mean, they played the Bears in right. week two, which was their week one. I was all fired up about the Bucs. I mean, what the hell happened? I think the Bucs are, are Jameis Winston's personality. They have some moments, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. they kind of fall apart a little bit. But I have faith in Winston to kind of rally the troops. And this is a, this is going to be a really tough game because they got New England on Thursday night. So you got, you know, you're sitting here, you better beat the Giants because then all of a sudden you got New England coming in and your season could be very, very di- difficult. And then, you, of course, you're the Giants. I mean, look, I, I think Tampa at home's a better team. I'm going to go with Winston, especially against the Giants. I think he can play better. But, you know, that first week, Miami had a good first. They shouldn't have won Miami. They didn't play well. Miami lost last week to the Jets. But Tampa in their week one win was impressive. And then without having Grimes, I think it hurts. And now yeah, not having yeah. David, I think that hurts as well. And then the guys up front, too. I mean, it's also you have that. Spence went out early in the game. I mean, there's so many elements there. But also, Mike, Jameis made four throws in that game. You cannot make. He does it all the time, though, Robert. And the thing is, is I've, I've stopped picking on him for it because he bow- he's like Phil Mickelson. He bogeys two holes and comes back and birdies three. Right. I mean, he has no – I mean, I, I, you got to get him to control the ball. I'm 100% with you. But, it, but he has done this his whole life, and he's been able to get away with it. I don't know if he can keep – Keep doing it. I think the concern if you're Tampa, McCoy's got to come up and really put some pressure, especially against this giant line. They have one sack. Spence probably isn't going to play this week, and he's the only guy with a sack on their team. Robert, what happens when you bogey two holes? I go start drinking. Exactly. <laughs> See, and and this guy here, he just comes right back and keeps playing. I mean, you can't ever count them down. And at home, they're a different team. I think they'll be really ready to play the Giants. I think I think that they'll this will be a game where the the Bucks will take seriously, and I think the Bucks will rally to the occasion. God, that's such an infuriating way to play. I just like I understand that, and I think their offense is a super high ceiling, and I guess you have to live with it. But I rode the Jay Cutler coaster for ten years. I mean, it's uh, I hate that. I mean, it's 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 frustrating. It's so frustrating to see them clicking and see them moving, and then on the third down when he's getting pulled down when they're in field goal range, he throws it up for grabs. Yeah, no, and it's I, just like it's like good God, man, like it just why just this 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 two percent that I don't want you to be just do not be that. And, and that's going to be his thing. I mean, but that's why he's always been. I mean, past performance predicts future achievement, and his past performance at Florida State was he always threw the interceptions, and you kind of wanted to ding him for it. But what I've learned about watching him play is doesn't affect him. He's got a great camaraderie with this team. He's a great leader. The team buys into him. So unlike Cutler, when he throws an interception, he doesn't go in the tank. He kind of comes back and bounces back. Mike, one question for you. We talked a little bit about 
you know, and we've talked about it all year about how September is so weird because of the lack of practice time, all that. Roster construction wise, is it was it different for you after the 2011 CBA than it was before because you knew that September was going to be weird? I mean, did you make different personnel moves? Well, I think, you know, the thing that helps you is you get more guys on practice squad. Yeah. So you can't really and you have to have a coaching staff that's willing to change in September. Yeah. And I think if you have those two things, you have a chance to get better. The problem is, is getting the young players better in September because you only have one pad of practice. I, I know Dan Quinn has tried to put in front of the competition committee. He sent a letter to the competition committee trying to urge the league office to be able to put the offensive and defensive linemen in pads for more than one practice during the season to see if they can improve the quality of play of the line. I don't think that'll get that'll grain legs because I don't think anybody wants to do that, especially from the player standpoint. But I think it's something they should consider. And I definitely think it's something they should consider in the offseason in terms of bringing in offensive and defensive linemen before. But the construction of your roster has to be fluid in September because you really don't know. You're now evaluating players. You know what? In the preseason, a guy looks really good. But then all of a sudden, in week two of the season, he doesn't look nearly as good. You better make that roster move because what you saw in the summer isn't really who he is. Did you just break news in the Dan Quinn thing? Is that out there? I don't know. I don't even know. I'm Googling it. I think Michael Lombardi broke some... Nuggets. You get nuggets here on the Ringer NFL show. Well, Thank you, Michael. I, I, you're welcome. I mean, I, I, anything I could do to help, you know, but that's that's what he's trying to do. You <laughs> know? just want to just break every, anything else I understand. You know? they, I understand why he wants to do it. I understand why players don't want to do it. I mean, well, it's just the conversation even, we've been having I don't forever know, now. I don't know if the players don't. I'm not sure if the players' executive committee. I mean, it's a concession they would have to make. Yeah. But Quinn is really, I mean, he's on top of it. He wants to try to do it, and I think he's right about it. I mean, he definitely sees it as, a, as an opportunity to, you know, he's— looking at his football team and he's trying to improve his team and he doesn't have enough, you know, people don't understand football is a mathematical problem. So you only have so many reps, you only have so much time. And if you have all these players, you can't get it all fixed into the situation. And that's where it becomes a problem. And he's trying to add more time to his mathematical problem. Okay, Michael, thank you so much for You're dropping welcome. by. Any other news you'd like to break? No, I think Any I, good I, Belichick I, stories no one knows? <laughs> Just I get them all out. I have a lot of those. Just get them all out. <laughs> I have a lot of those. They're good. Thanks, Kev. Thanks, right. Robert. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. A lot of people say that fall is their favorite season. For us, it's the busiest time of year. It's still my favorite season, though. <laughs> I love the fact that there's a chill in the air right now. The best part, though, is football is back, first and foremost. And with all the obligations we have on top of that, sometimes it's hard to think about how you're going to cook every night. Something that can really help is a meal kit delivery from Sunbasket. Sunbasket makes it easy to cook seasonal, nutritious meals no matter how busy you get. I had it last night. I had the Thai curry beef. It was excellent. And it was so simple. It's all in one easy bag. It's great. You can choose from paleo, gluten-free, vegetarian, and family options. And one category they designed especially for you, Kevin, the lean and clean. I don't think I suggested the lean and clean. Did they, <laughs> they give me that? That's okay. That's It's really good. I had uh, the some lemon chicken last night that was A+. Uh, Sunbasket sends you organic and sustainable ingredients, pre-measured and ready to go. They take the guesswork out of preparation, make cleanup easier, and you get to skip the grocery store. That's the best part. So simple. These meals are created by an award-winning chef, approved by nutritionists, and only take around 30 minutes to prepare. Go to sunbasket.com slash NFL today to get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash NFL for $35 off sunbasket.com slash NFL. All right, Danny Kelly's fantasy segment is coming up. Two things fantasy football fans need to do right now. Number one is listen to Danny's segment. Number two is join 450,000 other people and download the Draft Fantasy Football app. You get to play in a real-time fantasy football snake draft, but you're done in under five minutes, and they last for just one week. And you can join right now for week four. These are cash games. Plus, all new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use the promo code The Ringer. That's right. Play a real money game for free just by using promo code The Ringer. And it gets even better. Draft.com is so sure you'll love it that they're going to offer you, our listeners, a money back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to Draft.com and come play for free right now with promo code The Ringer. Now let's welcome in our good friend, the Ringer's own Danny Kelly. A big part of deciding who to start in fantasy football is analyzing the matchup. So Danny's broken down every single matchup in the NFL this week. He hasn't slept. Danny, have you slept? <laughs> Not much, guys. I live for this fantasy football stuff. Just grinding. 
Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Vampire but, status but is what we want these days. for our benefit. So, Danny, what are the best not-so-obvious <laughs> matchups at each position for Week 4? Yeah, let's start with quarterback. And first of all, I didn't actually expect to say this guy's name much this year, but oh, I'm, I'm kind of yes. looking at the Carson Palmer... Kind of looking at the Carson Palmer matchup this week, you guys. They got the, they're they're hosting the 49ers. So far, I'll give you some stats. The 49ers have given up a 102.7 quarterback rating against. They've given up six touchdown passes. They're 30th in the NFL against the pass per DVOA so far. Um, clearly, you know that Carson Palmer's got some issues with his offensive line, and that's probably not going to go away. But I think we saw him. He he looks pretty. He looked pretty dang good last week against Dallas. He was throwing the ball downfield. I saw uh, Sando posted a stat the other day that Palmer is second in the NFL in throws downfield 15 yards or more. He's got 25 of those, and he's second to Brady so far. So, I mean, the the Cardinals can still throw the ball deep. I just like that matchup. I think he could get into the end zone a couple times, and I just think the the 49ers they have a good pass rush, but that's about all they have. And Ayupati uh, should be back this week too, which he's not a great pass protector, but it still is a guy who has played before and is going against that very good interior line for San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. I mean, get some experience back. You know, their their tackles have been a problem, but um, I think you know just Palmer's good enough to kind of compensate for that. And and I, I, again, I couldn't can't believe I'm going with this guy, but yeah, I think he looked pretty good last year, so I'm going with him for kind of a you know he's not an obvious he's not an obvious star, but I think he could have big numbers. All right, running back, Danny. Give us the Carson Palmer of running backs. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't say Christian McCaffrey is the Carson Palmer of running backs, but if you look at that matchup there against the Patriots, um, game script-wise, I think you know it could be a kind of game where the the uh, the Panthers, sorry, have to throw the ball kind of a lot to kind of keep up and all mm-hmm. that. Um, last year, last week, he had over 100 yards receiving. You know, Kelvin Benjamin's knee is still a question mark. I think he's going to play, but. You know, it does, who knows how much he's going to, how many snaps he's going to get. So I think McCaffrey could be kind of a big target there. And I saw this stat for Evan Silva. The, the Patriots have allowed, uh, they allowed 808 receiving yards to running backs last year, and they've allowed so far an AFC high 253 yards to running backs this year. So they, they have a lot of trouble defending guys out of the backfield. And so I think it could be a big game for him. Patriots defense... It just hasn't looked good so far, guys. And and I think, you know, even if even if the Panthers are winning, you know, he could get some running he could get some, you know, totes on the ground too. And so he's got some value on in both, you know, the air and on the ground. He had eleven targets last week. And I know that Benjamin was out, whatever, but Funches had ten. It wasn't as if they went away from the <clears throat> wide receivers necessarily. Funches seemed to get Benjamin's target share, they really want to make McCaffrey the focal point of that receiving game. And I think if they're losing, he's going to get the same amount of work. They're going to hammer him hard pretty much all season, it feels like. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he was getting like vertical routes last, last week. So, yep. you know, he, he's he's been exactly kind of, I think, what everyone thought he would be, like a very dynamic, versatile player for him. All right, wide out. Well, this one is pretty... I mean, it's not like a surprise. A.J. Green, I think, has a good matchup on paper this week against the Browns. Um, you know, with Ken, uh, Ken Zampezi taking over, it was clear last week that they're going to feed A.J. Green. I think he had 11 targets. That's exactly what the that's exactly what the Bengals need to do. I mean, I don't know why they weren't doing it earlier. Um, right now, the Bengals, or the Browns, excuse me, are 31st in the NFL against number one receivers per football outsider. So, I mean, he's he's bound to get a lot of action. He's bound to get plenty of targets, and... I don't know I, who who on that team really can defend him. I mean, the answer is nobody, and it just feels like when your <laughs> offense is stuttering, when your when your offense is sputtering, and you don't have any sort of identity or any sort of thing you can rely on, isn't throwing the ball to the guy who is from outer space like fifteen times a game not the worst approach? I, I just don't understand why they don't lean on him when they don't have anything else. Yeah, I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, we saw. We saw the Texans do it with uh, DeAndre Hopkins a couple weeks ago. I just don't understand why teams that are struggling when they have an all-world receiver like Green or Hopkins, like, just feed the guy. Let him get open. Let him make big plays. That's that's why you're paying him. That's why he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. And so, yeah, I think Green could have a big week. It's not, you know, it's not like a sleeper pick by any means, but I think he's he's due for a big one. Tight end Danny. This one is another guy that I probably never would have thought I was going to recommend because just he's in the Seahawks offense and I just don't trust the Seahawks offense all that much very often. But Jimmy Graham this week, I think, has a good matchup against the Colts. Seahawks are Seahawks are always really good at home and they're even 
better at home uh, in prime time. And so I think the CX are going to be, you know, they're, I think their offense is going to look a lot better this week. They just tend to play better at home. They're in, like I said, in, in prime time last week, Graham had seven catches for 72 yards on 12 targets. That's, that's clear indication they're trying to get him more involved. He's he's clearly feeling a little bit better from he was banged up early on in the year. I think he had a knee injury, and so um, it, it looked like clear that he was a bigger part of the offense. I saw a stat from Pro Football Focus's Scott Barrett. Graham is fourth among tight ends and targets this year with 20, and second among all players in end zone targets with five. I think he's due for a touchdown. I mean, they they just need to get him involved in, in you know inside the 10 yard line in the end zone. And right now, the Colts are 26 against tight ends per DVOA. So that's looking like a good matchup. I think the Seahawks are going to feed him, and he could have a big day. Yeah, they're really looking to him down there. I remember they missed that fade last week against Tennessee. I mean, they're, he's a focal yep. point of what they want to do around the goal line. Did they it miss, hasn't worked very well, but they want to feed him there. Did they miss the fade because we're in year 85 of no fades ever being completed ever? Two fades. <laughs> you can throw fades to two people, Michael Crabtree and Odell Beckham. That's it. End of list. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well we when I wrote, I wrote an article last year about the fade being trash. I, I offered a couple caveats. If it's if you have Des Bryant, if you have a couple of these guys that are too. just, yeah, like if you have a couple of these guys that are just you know you can't match up with them down there, and Jimmy Graham is one of those guys, I don't mind. I don't care. Throw it to him whenever. Um, but yeah, I think I think Graham. They're, they're, they obviously know they need to use him in the red zone, and and hopefully they'll get it figured out this week. Okay, defense. I mean, I'm looking at the Jags. I mean, they're playing the Jets. And I know that I was defending the Jets offense last time I talked to you guys, but I don't know how the Jets are going to move the ball against this defense. I mean, they've got two really, really good corners. Um, I haven't seen the update on Jalen Ramsey, but I'm assuming he's playing. And I just don't know how guys like Robbie Anderson and Jermaine Curse are going to be able to really, you know, just get open against Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye. I mean, it's just when you add in the pass rush, it, I think it's going to be a long day for the Jets. Um I'm starting to be a believer in this Jags defense, you guys. I know that over the past couple of years, it's been like one of those things where they look really good on paper and, and all that. But these guys, I mean, they look legit to me. If the Jags defense is available in your fantasy football league, leave. stop listening to the podcast right now. Open a tab wherever you play and add them to whoever. You, you can kick out whoever your defense is unless it's Denver. Go get the Jags defense if you can. Do it. Listen to Listen to Robert. He's a cool dude. <laughs> good one thanks kev yeah no problem all right thank you danny for joining us everyone's going their league now <laughs> thanks guys thanks danny okay week four is upon us robert all that's left for us to do is watch the football games but after it all shakes out what's next week's biggest headline we have the same thing you start us out i mean i think that there's only one answer to this I mean, it's going to be more about what happens before the game you know we saw both teams yesterday stand arms length on the sideline the Saints announced today through Drew Brees that they were going to kneel before the anthem, stand during the anthem. The Broncos, just kinda, the Broncos did the same thing. Yep. So we just, you know, these are, I feel like teams coming out and making their intentions known two days before these games happen is all you need to know about how much interest there's still going to be. I mean, we've talked about this a lot, Kevin. I don't know if there's anything else to say about the protests themselves and what they mean, but it definitely is where people's eyeballs are going to be. Yeah, it's where the interest I, is going to be. I think there is one wrinkle to this, which is that what if you're on the Broncos or on the Saints and and you want to protest? I mean, I that mean, is if, the biggest that's, question. That, that's just yes. such an undercut where you get, I mean, I, I, I think it's going to be really, really fascinating to see what happens in the next couple of weeks if there are some players who have who have protested from the jump really who are on, who are on the Broncos. And, you know, I think, you know, one, Brandon Marshall, Brandon Marshall, Vaughn Miller last week was, you know, taking a knee with his fist in the air, even though the players commented publicly and said, we're doing this as a team. I, I still think there's going to be some trepidation and I'm intrigued to see if any of the teams who have quote unquote announced that they're all standing as a team. I'm not even sure how you do that. Um, the, the Broncos thing was unsigned by the way. Um, but at least Drew Brees put his name on it in New Orleans. But I just think if you're a player who wants to do it, I mean, what, what happens if you do it? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's tough. I, I understand wanting to present a united front, all those things, but it does feel like they're kind of stamping out anybody that wants to go make a statement and do so in a way that matters and that they should make. It's tough. I mean, they're, they're putting their players in difficult positions and, 
I don't know. I mean, we're going to watch that. We're going to listen to what players have to say after the game the same way we have the same way we did last week. I mean, that's going to matter. I mean, I feel like, have can you remember a week like we saw last Sunday where you were as curious about what was going to come out after games as you were about no. what happened during the game? No, pretty this, much this league-wide. It doesn't happen. It yeah. doesn't happen. I mean, it's we're it, the same thing's going to happen territory. this week. And that uncharted territory is continuing this week. I mean, it, as much as, you know, there, we just spent an hour talking about the actual football that's going to happen. There's a ton of interesting stuff. None of it holds a candle to the interest that's going to be derived from what's going to happen before the game. Well said. That's it for today. We'll be back on Tuesday with the wrap of the week four in the NFL. As always, thanks for listening to the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks, guys. Things change, the weather changes, your mood definitely changes. So why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels even at the last minute. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. So download the Hotel Tonight app to find seriously amazing deals now.